voice for the Friday edition of Hancock and Kelly. You two belong together. John Hancock, Michael Kelly, sponsored by Insperity, HR that makes a difference. On News Radio 1120, KMOX. Happy Friday, everybody. It's Hancock and Kelly in for our regular gig. We'll take you all the way to 11 o'clock. We'll join Amy and Chris. And uh, don't forget, you can see us Sunday mornings on Fox 2 right here in St. Louis for Hancock and Kelly, the television show. Top of the morning to you, Mr. All of, Hancock. All of that is true. Top of the morning. Uh, today is also the last day after 28 years at KMOX for our own beloved Kevin Killeen. He's signing off and moving on to greener pastures. And uh, uh, we're going to relive some of our favorite moments with Kevin next hour. Yeah, Kevin's the best. Kevin's the absolute best. Hey, listen to this. Yeah. So yesterday, yeah. I made my way south to uh, Arnold, Missouri. Arnold. Hadn't been out there in a while. You know, they got the big water tower out there. Mostly in Jefferson County, although a small piece of Arnold is in St. Louis County. Yeah, and I was out at a construction company called Cozney Wagner. Um, I was there for a meeting. Mm-hmm. So I'm sitting in their um, incredible uh, boardroom that they have there. We're all sitting around waiting for the meeting to start. Yeah. And it, it, I heard a jingle, like a like you know some bells. Yeah. A jingle, jingle, like like yeah. maybe Santa, Santa Claus, Claus was walking coming in. into the uh, office there. With that, this lady comes storming into the room. She's dressed like a banana. A banana. She's dressed like a banana. And she's got a tambourine in her hand. A tambourine-wielding banana. And she was a singing telegram. She, she was, was there to sing happy birthday Wow! to, um, well, I'm going to tell you the exact name of this guy because right. it was unbelievable. Sean Killian. Yeah. Uh, to came, she came in and sang a Foo, song, Foo Fighter song, There Goes My Hero. Yeah. And she was dressed like a banana, playing this thing. She was very loud. And was there significance to the banana? Well, I don't know. Maybe, apparently the, the guy's wife had sent it, but I don't know about you, but I've never personally been at a place where a singing telegram shows up and so this was it was a bit shocking and i I was thinking for a couple of minutes i'm like what if this is like some crazy person who's going to do something wacky but clearly it was the man's birthday and at the end of the singing telegram yeah um she uh winds up icing him what yeah she iced him what do you mean she iced him well, ice is uh, what are they smearing off ice. They're they're these beers that they sell. They're malt liquor, if you will, and they're flavored. Okay. And the the rule for the young people out there, John, is mm. they put the ice beer in front of you, and if somebody buys you an ice beer, you got to go down to one knee and drink the whole thing right there. That's what's being called ice. Is that right? So I saw Never a singing telegram, and I saw a guy get iced at the same now, time. Did, did he get iced by the banana? The banana iced him. It was the banana that iced him. The, the lady was dressed up like a banana. Yeah, I should yeah. get her name. It, somebody was kind enough to send me her name. Well, if his wife sent the banana, then I think we're pretty confident the banana did not unpeel at the end. No, of the no, there was. By the way, I was wondering. I was like, what kind of a singing telegram is this going to be? Is this going to be, you know, so the lady's name was Joy Brooker. And let me tell you. I guess she's for hire out there. Yeah, Joy Brooker. Go look her up. I don't know where you'd find her. But it You've was. Got a relative that loves bananas? This could be the answer well, to your. I uh, would bet she dresses in a lot of things. But you know how much courage it takes to go into a place where it. there's seven or eight dudes sitting around a table. And, and to I act a fool the way that she did and sing that song. On, but I, uh, I could go in and sing. But have you ever seen a singing telegram? Oh. I don't believe no, I have, Michael. I've never seen one. The closest I've ever come to somebody coming up and singing is like at a Mexican restaurant 
when the guys come with the the mariachi band. Yeah, and they sing happy birthday and make a fool of the person that's sitting there. Yeah. But I'd never been in like a professional meeting where all of a sudden we're disrupted by a singing Well, you know this gal, what did you say her name was? Joy Booker. All the news and all that matters to you. The voice of St. Louis, KMOX. You are listening to the greatest radio station on the planet. It's none other than 1120 AM KMOX right here in St. Louis. We're the voice of St. Louis. And always at this time, quarter to nine, Hancock and Kelly on Fridays tackle the political subjects of the week. And, John, uh, we're just a week away from the Republican debate starting. Um, I guess they're up in Milwaukee. They are in Milwaukee. Yeah, they're going to be in Milwaukee. That's where the convention's going to be. The big question is whether or not old indicted Don will be showing up. He's not. Uh, he's not going to, I you don't think. think so, well, right. anybody, anybody's guess will be what will happen there. He likes to keep us in suspense and to have us out there talking about him. Speaking about talking about him, Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, who's kind of got a little bit of a fledgling campaign right now. It's not gone well. It finds himself in a place uh, where his advisors are telling him, don't go into the debate, John Hancock, or, I mean, Ron DeSantis, <laughs> and attack Donald Trump. No, defend Donald defend Trump. Defend him. Yeah. What is that all about? Well, this is interesting on a couple of different levels. So the, he's got a super PAC that's supporting DeSantis. All, all these candidates have a super PAC. And the election law, the campaign finance law, is that you cannot coordinate between a campaign committee and one of these super PACs, they, there can be no coordination. So what invariably happens is that the super PACs have to find ways to get, if they've got strategic advice, say, right, they've got to find ways to make it public so that the campaign, the candidate can hear what the super PAC is saying. And the super PAC for DeSantis is being directed by Missouri's own Jeff Rowe. Right. Uh, who started out as a political consultant over in the Kansas City area. He's gone on to really be Ted Cruz's main guy in, in Florida. Ugh. I mean, in, in Texas. Yeah. So, yeah, they, so the, the super PAC supporting DeSantis puts out this message that defend Trump and go and attack Vivek Ramaswamy. Who? Which is, I think, very interesting. <laughs> yeah, and, and remind everybody who old Vivek is because this is not a household name. Well, Vivek Ramaswamy is a 37-year-old Indian uh, businessman uh, from Ohio. He's been very successful in the uh, biotech area, and he's running for president. He's picking up some uh, steam and uh, getting a lot of attention uh, among Republican voters. I'll bet there's people listening to us right now that are kind of intrigued by the Ramaswamy candidacy. And, but it is interesting that DeSantis' people would instruct him to specifically yeah. go after Vivek Ramaswamy. Yeah, and Chris Christie, of course, is expected to come out and be the junkyard dog against uh, Donald Trump. He has been doing that pretty effectively for the last two weeks. If if you listen to the arguments, and I know there are a lot of people out there who see Chris Christie as, you know, whatever. They think he's a rhino or whatever, and maybe on the Democratic side you think he's uh, a bad governor, whatever. Uh, he's been pretty impressive with his attacks on Donald Trump because they're factual. Well, and, and he's an aggressive guy. You know, Christie, and you can make a case that he was sort of the precursor to Donald Trump, the way he took on the media Good when point. he was governor of New Jersey, uh, kind of in-your-face sort of approach. 
and and that was very popular uh, back in his first term as governor of New Jersey. A lot of people thought that he should have run for president in 2012, and but he didn't. He waited until 16. That didn't go well. The problem is he's polling at less than 2%. That's not going to change. Right. He'll be on the uh, stage. Well, the question is whether or not Donald Trump will be on the stage. We believe that on Wednesday of next week he's going to do some type of turn-in, whether it be virtually or in person, in Georgia. Uh, I think he's got to go in in Georgia. Yeah, they say they're going to weigh him and take his mug shot yeah. and release it to the public. Won't that be interesting? Done. How's a man who's literally got four different trials that will be running, not to mention the E. Jean Carroll trial uh, that's happening, at the same time he's running, this this guy's not going to have time there's to show a, up at caucuses and states ahead of time. There's a Trump organization case in New York as well. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot going on. You know, I do think, though, I think that for most normal people, they probably just about had it. With all this stuff. I mean, they don't want to hear about it anymore. They don't want to talk about it anymore. Wish he'd go away. Right. But for a lot of Republicans, I don't count myself in this number, but for a lot of Republicans, they see this piling on of Donald Trump, and I do think it's giving him broader and certainly deeper support among his base out there. I just don't see any way the guy's not going to be the Republican nominee, and I think it would be, if I were advising Trump, I think it would be a mistake for him to, to go to the debate. Well, that will be the question. We'll talk about it next week. And, John, a lot of folks are up in arms over the federal charges being dropped against Hunter Biden. Uh, of course, Hunter Biden was getting ready to plea on two cases or two counts as it related to tax invasion and um, uh, possessing a gun as a convicted uh, person that he wasn't supposed to have. Well, he was a drug addict. Too. Yeah, as a drug addict. Uh, those charges got dropped yesterday. Everybody's got a big conspiracy. Oh, my gosh, this is President Biden. Uh, there's something else at work here, isn't there? I don't know. I, You know, this whole thing is curious to me. Why you would take the guy who's a, just a U.S. attorney who's investigating Hunter Biden, has been for five years, and make him a special counsel, I just don't understand the rationale of doing that If unless you, you know, if you're not going to change horses why make this particular change? So I, and here's the thing: you you investigate somebody for five years, and all you come out with is a couple of tax charges that you could have found in a month. I mean, these it's not hard. Somebody right. doesn't pay taxes. Maybe there's money. nothing there, John. I mean, this is not some partisan Democrat who's been prosecuting these crimes. It was somebody appointed by wait for it, Donald Trump. Sure, uh, yeah, but you know, I just I don't know uh, when you're doing that much foreign business, and I understand that a lot of these political families, kids and relatives sell their influence and their access. Right. That's not unique to, to the Bidens. But when you're doing all this foreign business and getting money from some pretty shady characters, I mean, the Burisma folks in Ukraine are pretty shady, and he took money from a Chinese businessman. We all know, you know, how they, how they conduct their affairs over there. So... You know, and he never, so far as I know, registered as a foreign agent uh, in representing these companies. And that's what Paul Manafort went to prison for. Yeah, I don't think things are going to go well for Hunter. Uh, but then again, we, we're talking about a guy who was out there selling his influence for, what, $7 million, I think they're saying? Something like that. 
Well, uh, what that other guy get three billion from the Saudis? Two, uh, just two, two billion, billion. Yeah. two billion from the Saudis, but they're they're upstanding. You're talking about uh, uh, Jared Kushner and his investment fund and took two billion dollars from the Saudis, and I think the uh, government of Qatar might have uh, been involved with that as well. Oh yeah, so most of us here in St. Louis might not know what we're about to talk about. But it's a big deal in the state of Missouri, and that's what's called the governor's ham breakfast. Ah, uh, the ham breakfast at the state fair in it's Sedalia, the, Missouri. Yeah, it's at the state. How many times have you been there? Uh, many. Yeah. I can't count. I hope I never go back. I've been there four or five times. Been there as a candidate. I've been there as a campaign manager. I've been there Ditto. as a never party a guy. Yep. Uh, yeah, it's ugh. it's usually miserably hot. They yep. got lots of cool Missouri stuff that you can walk around and look at. But one day uh, during the fair, they have what's called the ham breakfast. And it's the one place where political uh, folks from both sides of the aisle come together. Everybody gets a chance to talk. And everybody is typically respectful to everybody. My understanding is yesterday, Jay Ashcroft and Mike Kehoe and Bill Eigel all shook hands, including Crystal Quaid, who was there. Uh, Josh Holly ran into... Um, um, oh, Lucas Coons. Oh, there you go. And, and they had a conversation. Uh, our own former United States Senator Kit Bond was down there being shepherded around Bond. by uh, Lieutenant Governor Mike Kehoe. Um, I know we in St. Louis may not grasp this, but explain how big of a deal the state fair is and what it means to politics. Yeah, well, the state fair takes place in August and during an election year uh, or the year before as we are now. You know, it is a who's who of politicos. Uh, the governor, yeah, I guess, uh, kind of presides over uh, the the ham breakfast. Oh, we're going to go eat some ham here. Some ham, which is which is ironic because he's a cattle farmer. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But anyway, yeah, it's it is it's a must go to, and then they they always auction off the steer or whatever, and right. and the politicians all bid against each other to buy the the big cow. Right. And, but it's a, it really is the launch of the political season, and that's what we saw yesterday here in Missouri. Uh, most of our races, John, we've talked about it, really not general election races. These are all primary contests. Yeah. Uh, and that's not unique to Missouri. It's what's happening throughout the country, and I believe it's what's giving us this extreme leftist positions and extreme right positions. Well, you know, it's so different. The state's politics has changed so much in my lifetime. Yeah. I got elected to the state house in 1988, Michael. Oof. I know. I was getting my teeth in. <laughs> exactly. Your braces. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, yeah, 1988, and the Democrats controlled the House. The Democrats controlled the Senate by a lot. Uh, Republicans had the governors in a, in a bunch of the statewide offices, and Missouri was one of the most competitive states in the country. And we were always a bellwether state in the presidential elections. And, you know, from, gosh, 1900 up until 1992, I think Missouri had voted for the winning presidential candidate in every election except for one. Right. And, uh, you know, and, and it's just, it's changed so much. Republicans finally took control of the state Senate in 2001, and they took control of the state House in 2002, and here we are 20-some years hence, and the state's become reliably red. Oh, yeah, and it's usually on the bottom of most lists of states that are most effective. 
Uh, we're down there with Mississippi and Alabama oh, buddy, since that, y'all that took was, over. That was true when the Democrats ran the state. Whatever. As well. We all had all numbers. these big corporate headquarters in both of these cities. We seem to give a care about the, both urban and rural. Democrats. Now we demonize the folks in the cities, and we are all about this ridiculousness of abortion and guns. Democrats changed the tax code here and uh, disincentivized businesses from staying here. But that's a story for another day. When we come back, I had a little deja vu. What? Yeah. Deja vu, buddy. Let's talk about it. I think I, we've talked about this before. That's next on KMOX. Time for the Friday edition of Hancock and Kelly. You two belong together. John Hancock, Michael Kelly. Sponsored by Insperity. HR that makes a difference. On News Radio 1120, KMOX. Well, welcome back to KMOX and Hancock and Kelly. Uh, in for our regular Friday gig. Here we, we are are at a place where uh, we have to remind everyone, John, that we're going to stick around till 11 o'clock. We'll be here with Amy and Chris. We will. Saw them in the office. They're already here putting together their show. Uh, and then, of course, don't forget Sunday mornings on Fox 2 here in St. Louis. you got Hancock and Kelly, the television show. Uh, it'll be like deja vu all over again every Sunday, won't it? Well, it kind of seems that way. I had an interesting experience yesterday. By the way, filling out our voluminous show preparation sheet here. Right. Uh, spelling deja vu. Yeah, how do you spell it? Yeah, I spelled it, and I don't know if it's correct, but I spelled it D-E-J-A-V-U. Is that correct? I uh, said V-U-E. Uh, James O'Sullivan's going to look into that in the research department. <clears throat> Did you have some deja vu? Yesterday. Unbelievable. So, oh. you know, I don't like to talk, Michael. No, clearly. My young granddaughter, uh-huh. Tula, mm-hmm. uh, she's uh, almost 16 months old now, and she's clearly advanced probably gifted uh but she's got this great sense of rhythm and um and i'll do some drum beats on the table sometimes and and she'll start dancing you know uh-huh. and, and she kind of gets it and she likes to beat on the table with papa you know we uh-huh. just sit around so i thought to myself okay i'm gonna get her a set of bongo drums oh i bet her parents will be thrilled yeah so uh <clears throat> i got online yesterday <laughs> what a jerk you bongo, get drums for bo- your grandchild. Bongo drums near me, I said. <laughs> and they led me to the Fred Pierce Drum Studio in Overland, Missouri. Oh, man. Uh, so I proceeded to get lost driving to Overland, Missouri. Well, but, that's a uh, given. Found my way down Midland Road, which I hadn't been on in decades. And uh, and there it was. I pulled into the little parking. A little, uh, looks like an old house there, the Fred Pierce Drum Studio okay. in Overland. And I walked into the Fred Pierce Drum Studio in Overland, and I thought, man, I've been here before. Now, how in the world would I have ever been in the Fred Pierce Drum Studio in Overland, Michael? Well, it, you, apparently it was some deja vu. <clears throat> it was a, it, totally deja vu. I walked in. It's an old, kind of looks like it's, you know, 60, 70 years old. You know, the building's been around. And it, it smelled familiar. It looked familiar. There was a counter. I bought the bongo drums, and he filled out a sales slip. You know, one of those sales like, receipts by my hand. word. Yes, was this the 1950s? Well, I don't know. And it, it, anyway, so I got the bongo. They are awesome, by the way. These bongo drums. I haven't given them to Tuli yet. I mean, it might happen this afternoon. Hey now. And uh, so anyway, I, I, I came home, and I'm I'm thinking it's like in my head. I've I've been here before, and then I re- remember my brother was a drummer. So, uh, and he was a good drummer. He was in a band all through high school and after. And, uh, in fact, they were called Sweet Leaf. <laughs> and they used to play at the uh, Jacks Are Better restaurants okay. around town. 
So I called Jay, my brother in uh, North Carolina, and I said, uh, have you ever been in the Fred Pierce drum studio in Overland? And he said, yeah. That's where I bought my Zildjian cymbals, and you went with me. Uh, it would have been 1973. Wow. So 50 years ago, as a young lad of nine years old, I was in the Fred Pierce drum studio in Overland, and when I walked in yesterday, I mean, it was like, uh, that so was weird. Is that considered to be deja no. vu? No. I think a lot of deja vu is like that, though, where right. where you had an actual experience. Yeah, it's been it's been years since I've had deja vu, but I've had those moments where and it hits you like right this second. Yeah. you know, it hits you this second. You're just like, man, I feel like I have done this before, like this very thing, yes. this, in this very way, in this very spot. That's happened to me too. Yeah, but for some reason, it seemed to have happened to me much a lot more when I was younger than than I feel like it has recently. Yeah, um, and I don't know what what that comes from. Obviously, it's a French word. Uh, yeah, deja, deja vu. vu uh-huh. And uh, it you has know. a certain je ne sais quoi. Je ne sais quoi. Oh, oh, oui, oui. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 436 7900 if you've ever had uh, deja, deja vu. vu. I'd like to hear your experience on, on that. I feel like we have deja vu every time we run into Kevin Colleen. <laughs> yeah, well, there's no question. <laughs> Kevin's yeah. last day here. I know. Today's his last day. Yeah. It's going to be sad. Well, yeah. I mean, sad on the one hand, but he's he's got a, a great opportunity ahead of him. I don't know if he shared that, so I'm not going to share it. But uh, He has. He's told everybody what he's up to. Well, I as he him. said it on the air, though. Yes, he did. Oh, he did. Okay, so mm-hmm. he's going to be the public information officer for the St. Charles County. Uh, and, yeah, it's a really nice job, and it's uh, St. Charles is a great, very well-run local government in the, in our area. And I think he'll do a great job for them, and I think they'll be very happy with him as well. So uh, congratulations to Kevin Colleen. We're going to play some highlights of our Kevin Colleen segments. We used to do a regular segment with him on every yeah. Friday. Remember that? So when uh, Charlie, remember, you, Charlie didn't used to work on Fridays. What a Charlie gig, Brennan. right? Yeah. yeah, so we were in here for Charlie's show. I think he's on the air now more, more than, than he was, was when he worked here. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, he's surely doing more commercials. Yeah. He and Carol Daniel, man, no they, they're selling it all here at KMOX. But anyway, we would uh, we would have Kevin in, usually in our, one of our last segments, and some of the things he would come up with, John. I mean, he's just I, – I consider Kevin to be two things. He's the strangest man I know. <laughs> yeah. That's number one. And number two, if someone were to say, give me the prototypical St. Louisan. Yes. I'd say here he is, it's Kevin Colleen. Remember when it, his uh, February uh, video went viral yeah, a year or so right. ago? I mean, like it had, like, I don't know, it was a million clicks. Yeah. yeah. Uh, crazy. Because he was talking about how weather and, yeah. and you know, February just feels like a death march yeah. <laughs> because you've been caught in this cold weather, et cetera. Now, we've, we've got some nice weather out there. I ate the dinner outside last night. It was just fabulous. Today, apparently, is going to be uh, tolerable as well, but boy. Uh, summer comes back with a roar next week. It does, and uh, those 100-degree temperature days, man, although we're at the tail end of it now, I, yeah. think, uh, I think we're about to. And St. Louis, say what you want about St. Louis's weather. I think the fall season in St. Louis is as perfect as any season anywhere in this country. I really there, do. There is just something about fall, whether it be the smells, the colors, fire. Yeah. Uh, you know, I associate the fall with fire. You know, you, yeah. you're standing around some fire pits, maybe going out to the wineries here and uh, uh, out in St. Charles. Watching the trees 
change colors. Yeah, trees change colors, which, I, you know, we're probably just a month away from that. Can you believe that? Yeah, well, maybe more than a month, because it, isn't it like early October usually? The trees, I don't know, I don't man. Know. Everything's so screwed up. The world's on fire, and who knows and, when and it's going to happen. And, and as hard as they've tried to ruin the fall with this this, this pumpkin, pumpkin spice stuff, uh, you know, they're shoving it down your throat, shoving it down your throat, you pumpkin everything. They've, they're ruining the fall. Uh, but as, as hard as they've tried, Michael, I still love the fall. I do too. Now, you, but that's not your favorite season. But You're a Christmas guy, sweaters, aren't you? I, well, I, I love them all. I love them all. Yeah. You I'm, know, you I'm get a, to be my age, and you wonder how many more of them you're going to have. Oh, you're going to see a couple. I'll see a couple. <laughs> yeah, I'll see a couple. Hey, he's John Hancock. I'm Michael Kelly. We've got a statewide elected official going to join yeah, us. Yeah, the state auditor, Scott Fitzpatrick, is going to join us. He's uh, launched an investigation into the marijuana, the new marijuana industry in Missouri. I'll be very interested to hear uh, what he's up to, and he's going to join us right after this on The Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. Now, back to Hancock and Kelly, sponsored by Insperity, HR that makes a difference on News Radio 1120, KMOX. Well, as you are aware, John Hancock, uh, the state of Missouri, because of the initiative petition process, uh, approved uh, the legalization of marijuana and cannabis they in the did. state of Missouri. Yes, they did. Uh, not only from a medical standpoint, but from a um, recreational standpoint, we've got to be a little bit over a year into it now, don't you think? Yeah, just uh, just about. Uh, it would have passed in November of 22. Well, yeah, in the 2022. And joining us now on the Quiver River Electric Guest Line is the auditor of the state of Missouri. He's Scott Fitzpatrick. Mr. Auditor, how are you, sir? Hey, doing well. How are you guys? Fine. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, tell us what you're up to. You're uh, coming out with an audit as it relates to the cannabis industry in Missouri. Sure. So uh, we it's at the very beginning stages, uh, and it's really a, an audit of the Department of Health and Senior Services and the, the cannabis program. And, and so, you know, a misconception of what the auditor's office does can oftentimes be that, you know, we go and look at private businesses or, you know, things like that. And that's, that's not what our job is. And it's not what we would uh, be doing or attempt to be doing in an audit like this. We're looking at specifically the, you know, the department's implementation of the constitutional provisions that were enacted, uh, the rules that they promulgated and making sure that, you know, that they're uh, following the law and running the program according to the will of the voters as it was implemented in the constitution. You know, one of the concerns, uh, Scott Fitzpatrick, that, that I've had about this thing is that this was an initiative petition that was drafted by the folks that were already in the medical marijuana industry in Missouri. That was, had been around since 2018. And, you know, they drafted a, a very lengthy amendment. In fact, it, it takes up a big chunk of the state constitution now is this cannabis language. And it was drafted by the industry and I had concerns that, you know, there were some potentially anti-competitive elements in that. Uh, that's probably not within the purview of your uh, audit of DHSS, but it's a real concern. Do you share that concern? Yeah, look, I, I, I believe in free markets and I prefer, you know, I prefer open market solutions to, uh, you know, government, you know, constitutionally mandated monopolies, um, you know, but. That is what's in the Constitution. I think what we will look at, and I agree, I 100% agree with you about the 
you know, the way that um, the way that these things work, I mean, an initiative petition that's, uh, and especially in these constitutional provisions relating to cannabis, the, the medical and recreational marijuana language in the Missouri constitution is now more than a fifth of all the language in our constitution. So, um, you know, that, and to me, that speaks to a different issue of initiative petition reform and why I think it's important that we change, you know, change initiative petition, the process and the approval threshold specifically for amending the constitution moving forward, you know, regulations relating to marijuana don't belong in the constitution. That should be in statute. And I said that, you know, when I was running for office, but the reality is it's in the constitution and we have to live with what's in the, in the constitution, but we'll look at the decision-making process in terms of, you know, it was not a mandatory decision that the department of health made to go with the minimum number of licenses authorized by the constitution. They could have picked a number higher than that. And, you know, I think the subject of that decision, how the decision was made is certainly something that we have the opportunity to look at. And, uh, and then the, you know, the licensing process has been something that has uh, been, you know, of a lot of interest to a lot of people, how those decisions were made. Um, it's been controversial. And so I could see that falling within the, the scope of the audit too. Well, and, and you talk about that licensing process, and that is clearly something that is you're able to look at as you get in over to the Department of Health and Senior Services. Uh, they the there's an outside entity that was used to quote score applications, right? That's the way they decided who could be in this thing. Uh, are you going to be able to to get under the hood and see how that was actually done? You know, I think so. But well, the, the way these things work, I mean, this is a very early stage situation with this audit. I mean, we entranced with the department on August 2nd. I think they knew, I mean, they knew the audit was coming before that. But, um, you know, so but the, the way it works is there will be a bunch of survey work that takes place initially that and then an audit plan will be developed based on the initial kind of survey of, of uh, the department and the situation. And, and then at that point, you know, a, a more full audit plan will be developed and then we'll kind of execute on that. Auditor Scott Fitzpatrick is our guest. And, Auditor, uh, I am a, a labor supporter, and uh, I like the access to the ballot that we have. And, in fact, organized labor has used it to go, and they pushed that uh, right-to-work initiative that kind of pushed back on where the legislature was, and the people overwhelmingly uh, supported organized labor's position uh, organized labor had to jump through a lot of hoops to be able to get that to the ballot. From my recollection, that wasn't the case as it related to this cannabis initiative, was it? Well, I, you know, the the process of getting on the ballot, obviously I've become a lot more familiar with it in the last seven months and have been involved in litigation surrounding that. Um, you know, the uh, you know, it, it really depends. There's three statewide officials that are involved in the uh, in the process of getting something to the ballot once somebody submits it for circulation. That's the Secretary of State, the Auditor, and the Attorney General. And if the if one of the three of those uh, officials decides to make things difficult, it's we, I mean it's been demonstrated that that can you know that can happen. And uh, you know we obviously have recent. Uh, you know, a recent situation in which it did happen. And so um, it really depends on who's in office and what the issue is, I guess. But for my part, you know, I, I'm, I'm just here to do my job, follow the law, 
I do what the statutes say I'm supposed to do. And whether I like the issue or not, I took an oath to, you know, to do a job and support uh, the words that were written in law. And that's what I've been doing. Scott Fitzpatrick, he's a state auditor. And, and guess what, man, you're not on the ballot next year because uh, you're in the middle of a four-year term. You were elected in 2022 as our state auditor, uh, or 2024. Uh, as our state auditor, and uh, you're not on the you're not on the ballot in 24. You're you get a, a pass. That's got to be unusual for you, right? You've been on the ballot every two years for a while. I have, yeah, and I'm I'm looking forward to playing a supporting role uh, to the Republican candidates that that make the make it through the primary in 2024. I was at the state fair yesterday. And uh, somebody asked me if I was if I had to run again in 2024, and I said, "Well, if you look around, all these all these other candidates here, they're wearing their campaign boots, and I'm wearing tennis shoes. So that should be the telltale sign that I'm not on the ballot in 2024 because I'm wearing tennis shoes, not campaign boots." So. <laughs> well, enjoy your year off the campaign trail, and uh, I know you'll be there to support the GOP candidates as well. Scott Fitzpatrick, thanks for joining us here on the Voice of St. Louis. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. See you. All right, when we come back, there's a couple hundred million dollars out there, Michael. It, uh, well, they're trying to figure out how to spend in the city of St. Louis. Lord. <laughs> we'll talk about it next on Cable X. Find out what's happening with your Redbirds from the manager himself, Oliver Marmel. Sunday mornings at 10.15 on Sports on a Sunday morning. And Wednesday mornings at 9.50. The Ollie Marmel Show on Cardinals Radio. KMOX. Well, John... It's been two years since the lawyers wound up coming to a settlement with the uh, former, uh, the owner of the St. Louis Rams, now the L.A. Rams, yeah, Stan Kroenke, that sent a truckload of money uh, to St. Louis that could be spent uh, on whatever it is that we chose to spend it on. Yeah. You couple that on top of all of the ARPA money. And the um, that would be the federal largesse that poured in that came in here, and so St. Louis is sitting on close to a billion dollars. And uh, the president of the board of aldermen, the mayor, and many of the alderman matic folks are now putting out a survey. And what they're asking people to do is to go to this survey and tell us what you'd like us to spend money on. They're having public town hall meetings about it, aren't they? Right. So I guess that's all fine and well, but here's what I don't get, John. It's well-documented here on KMOX that we have a 911 crisis. Crisis. It's well-documented here on this radio station and news throughout St. Louis that we don't have enough police officers in the city of St. Louis. short for years. It's well-documented that the roads are deteriorating, trash isn't being picked up on time, homeless shelters aren't open, the prison's overcrowded. Um, we've got a homeless problem in, in the park that's just right across the street from City Hall. People getting shot over there. And the people that spent all this money and time running around telling the voters, elect me so I can go make decisions, are punting. We've got a billion dollars, and they don't know what we need to be spending money on? I get it. The, the Rams money was a once-in-a-lifetime transformational money that would come. But two years later, now you're going to take a survey when literally Rome... For that matter, St. Louis is burning. I don't get this. What what are we electing people to do if they're just going to sit on the money? I, last night, I was in an event with yeah. two former mayors, right. Francis Slay and Lyda Cruson. Yeah. Both of them, throughout their time as being mayors, had no money. They, right. they were the, the, the biggest problem they faced is St. Louis had no money. Trash trucks were being held together with duct tape. Uh, but things were getting done. 
Now things aren't getting done. These people have more money than they know what to do with, but they've got to have a survey and a study to figure out what we should be spending money on. Come well, on. Well, and my fear is, because this is one-time money, um, one-time money should go for one-time things. Um, it could be a, an infrastructure project or something like that, uh, you know. And they sat on the money for months and months and months and didn't even have it collecting interest. Think <laughs> about that. Wow. Uh, at least now, <clears throat> at least now it's uh, at least supposedly because they were shamed interest. into it by the press. Yeah, right. Um, and they're they're sitting on this, and it has has it been two years? It's been over two years, right? It's been two years since the settlement. Uh, and you know, the, so now they're, we're going to find out. I am fearful that they're going to squander the money. Well, I. Why are we electing people? To go and make decisions for us if what they've got to do is delay the process for two years to be able to go out and take surveys and find out what needs to be done. It's not like there's not items in the city of San Luis. Yeah, obvious needs. Obvious, obvious needs. needs. And and that's what's the most frustrating part, particularly as it relates to the uh, the federal dollars that came which is, first of all, there is a time limit that we have to spend this money. Should we not spend it, guess what? Joe Biden and the Fed gets that money back. That time's ticking. What yeah. are we waiting on? What are we doing? Why are we electing these people? They had a lot to say about prisons, right? They closed the workhouse. Now they have an overcrowded prison Man, in downtown St. Closing Louis. Closing the workhouse was a mistake. Even their own a citizen-appointed boards are coming out and saying that the mayor and the president of the Board of Aldermen are failing as it relates to uh, the justice process. We we all know what's going on with policing. We all know what's going on with 911. Spend some money. Make a difference. Well, what's going on? <clears throat> Why did you spend all this time, energy, and money to get elected if you're not going to make decisions and you're just going to punt? And the, the prison issue is going to get worse because now we have a prosecutor and Gabe Gore who's actually going to be sending yeah, people doing to his job. And... Uh, yeah, I, I think it's inevitable that they're going to have to reopen the work. I, well, I guess they are using the workhouse now for some prisoners. Did I read that? I don't know. I mean, I, I can't imagine that that would be the case. I mean, the mayor ran, literally. There were riots and protests over the workhouse. Close the workhouse, close the workhouse, close the workhouse. By the way, uh, it seems to me that it was a better running police uh, or uh, prison than the one that they have in downtown well, there were riots that were taking place in previous administrations, and of course, people would come and protest and say this is wrong. Those riots are still happening inside the prison today. Guess what? They're all elected board of aldermen now. Now they just sit and hide and say, hey, what do you think we ought to do? Here's a novel idea that a listener just texted in. Okay. Uh, could it be, could it be that they're sitting on the money and they're going to spend it right before the next election for mayor? You think that could be a... Uh... Well, I don't. I don't know. I guess we could uh, sunshine the text messages of uh, the political consultant and the mayor's uh, dad to find out why they're not spending the money, or are they saving this money for some other project? I don't know what it is, but I have no confidence that they're doing anything. Well, they were going to hand out checks at one point. Five hundred dollars. Did that? Has that happened? Uh, well, it was supposed to, but as you may remember, John, when they were handing out those $500 checks, it had a six-month delay to it. You know, it was so important that we get this money passed. We got to get it passed. We got to get it passed. They had no program to do it. Ultimately, I don't think that they're that calculated and smart to be able to hold on to this money. I think what's happening in the city of St. Louis and the and the administration of it is incompetence, uh, number one. And, and number two, I, I just think that you have folks who have a lot of ideas but actually don't know how to do the jobs that they have. Well, it could be. 
Uh, we'll all sit around and find out. I'm Here's my prediction. Let's hear it. Let's mark the tape here, shall, shall we? Uh, my prediction is they're going to find a mechanism to take part or perhaps all, but certainly part of this money and just give it away to people. What That's do you mean by I, that? I, they're just going to give just, it away. Just handouts? Yep. Yep. That's okay. what I think is going to happen. So I can maybe that and, and that could take the form of, uh, you know, low income folks getting money. It right. could be reparations. It could right. be universal income. Maybe. I don't know where you fall. I know where you fall on it, but where listeners fall. Maybe a worthy conversation. OK, I, I, I don't know where I fall on it, but this isn't a conversation that should be happening at a city level. You know, we hear a lot from folks who are saying we need to fix homelessness and poverty in the city of St. Louis. Mm-hmm. That's existed since the time that humanity has happened. We can't pave roads and pick up trash. What makes us think that those same people who can't can't put together a competent bureaucracy to pick up the trash and pave the roads are going to come up with the solutions to homelessness that the world's largest cities haven't been able to come up with? Yes, the homeless problem has been with us from antiquity. You know what else has been with us from antiquity? Who's that? Kevin Colleen. Hey, now. 28 years on The Voice of St. Louis. They come to an end today as he steps into the next phase of his life. When we come back, a tribute to the great Kevin Colleen. That's next on KMOX. Worker play? KMOX is right there with you. We go where you go. Hey there. Uh, KMOX, uh, it's kind of a sad day, but uh, it's hard to be sad about Kevin Colleen because he's such a... An upbeat, positive, happy dude. Um, a bit of a curmudgeon at times, but I mean, if you've been a longtime listener of KMOX, or even if you've started recently, uh, you have taken interest in this guy. And I sum up Kevin Colleen with one clip. All right. It's right here. Governor Greitens, please don't be the skedaddle governor. Talk to the press. <laughs> Now, you remember, governor. this is in the midst of Governor Greitens Scandals, having all of his right, issues, yeah. and he said he was going to be different. He was an outsider. He was going to, and he was acting a lot like every other politician running away from the press. And when he called him the skedaddle governor, I lost it. Yeah, well, Kevin, Kevin is great because he, uh, his interview style and the way he, you know, gets right into it with the elected officials, uh, I'm going to miss that. He is such a good reporter and he's so thorough. But and, and, and it, but his sense of humor and oh. his manner of, of speaking, he told a story. We've just got a short clip of it, but he was he was telling a story one day about a, a tree trimmer in his backyard <laughs> and uh, called him El Hombre, and it, I couldn't stop laughing. We've got just a little bit of that segment. I have uh, been introduced to a little known, a secret tree trimmer. We can't give his name because in fairness to our many tree trimming sponsors, we'll just call him... El Hombre. And he is... He is the man. He gets up on the oak tree, climbing it with his hands. He's, he's a, a, a wiry man. He looks like one of those uh, turtles. What was that movie, with, uh, the cartoon with the turtles? The Ninja Turtles. Nin- he's a Ninja Turtle. He gets up there and he hangs from this little rope and he swings and he dangles and... And he cuts off branches, and they fall within inches of your power lines and your your outside air conditioner. Squirrels are flinching and running to the side. El hombre, not afraid of death, 
He's up there to cut down the tree and save you from the grasping insurance companies and the greedy people with machines. <laughs> You're killing me, man. You're killing me. <laughs> he was killing me that day. That was uh, that was some classic. Well, you had those segments every Friday at 1020. Yep. Uh, Kevin would come in. The and Curious Case the, of Kevin Colleen. Yes, it was The Curious Case of Kevin Colleen. I wanted to, <laughs> we, we, I don't know if we have time for this whole thing. Like, but sure we do. Kevin went back to the movies, Michael, and it sounded like this. Let's all go to the lobby. Another thing that's going Let's on this week is the uh, they're starting to open up some of these movie theaters. I mean, when was the last time we went to a movie theater without a crummy mask and we just sat there and breathed in everybody else's microbes and <laughs> got into the movie and forgot about death and all this, you're going to die any moment stuff. And uh, people have so many fond memories of going to the movies. Uh, you know, you think the, a movie theater is unique to watching it at home. Like, remember this movie? 2001 A Space Odyssey. My dad took oh, yeah. us boys to see it when we were... Uh, Young kids, we didn't know what was going on. This was a movie long on symbolism and short on plot. But we went to see it at the Ozark Theater in Webster, and it was a matinee teeming with the bearded Webster College philosophy majors. I mean, they loved this movie. They gave it a standing ovation. Wow. And my dad, who was more of a kind of a movie guy who liked Gunga Din or Laura or the Maltese Falcon, I remember him saying, come on, boys, we're going to talk to the manager about this. And as all the philosophy majors are clapping, my dad is saying, this movie is no good. We want a refund. I paid 75 cents for my kids. Yes. And $1.50 for me. This is not a movie. <laughs> and the lady, a woman in an itchy wolf skirt, I remember she said, I don't know what to tell you, sir. The crowds all loved it. <laughs> yeah, that was Kevin Colleen. Itchy that was, wolf skirt. Uh, coming, uh, coming out of COVID, going back to the movie. He, he used to bring his daughter, Emily, in on occasion. And they would review the shows at the uh, Muni Opera, where I guess Kevin had season tickets at the time. But uh, it's so, I don't know, it was so funny and so spontaneous. The The guy was, uh, is... Uh, one of the one of the funniest people I know. He and I share a love of ragtime piano as well. He's into ragtime. Oh yeah, well, he, that explains he, a lot. And he plays the piano. Really? And uh, Kevin's a pretty pretty fine piano player. Yeah, yeah. Probably best known around here over the years for writing the Christmas radio plays. Every I've forgotten. Year. Yeah, the Christmas radio plays, and you know, we, we've been here fourteen years. We participated in every Christmas radio play. I don't think we've had one since COVID. No, we have not. Uh, but leading up to that, and they were in typical Kevin Colleen fashion. They had a plot line that went from, you know, some St. Louis uh, archdiocesan rectory up to Mars, if you will. Uh, all the way to the White House, and he would bring in guests, but he he had a way of tying it together and making sure the voices of St. Louis were heard. Those were those were some of the best radio. Uh, I know the folks used to attend. We had uh, did them at the Rep uh, at, at, for right. years. Did them at down at the Sheldon, yep, uh, as well. And uh, always had a full house for the Christmas radio plays. Everybody had a part. You and I were usually uh, FBI agents. Yeah, well, I mean, we we usually got three or four lines. And it was always an interesting environment to see Kevin because Kevin is normally the guy who's going to throw you a question that you're like, where did that come from? 
But when he was the director of the play, you know, here you have this guy who's usually cutting it up with you all of a sudden saying, chop, chop to the stage, actors, let's go, no more pizza. uh, But he was a good director, though. Uh, He really would give, you know, direction. We'd have that rehearsal the day of the performance, and the the whole station would be down there uh, during the Rush Limbaugh show that was airing at the time. And uh, And he'd have to wrangle personalities like John Carney and... Mark Reardon, yeah. uh, boy, I mean, he's had a well. Of course, Charlie Brennan, Tom Ackerman, Debbie Monterey, he had them all in there, uh, and he did, he just was such a good writer. Well, we're gonna miss him around these parts, Kevin Colleen. Uh, do we have time for one more short clip uh, there, James? Go ahead and fire up uh, the other clip there. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning, John. Oh, ha- this is happy Good Friday. Yes, happy Good Friday. happy Good Friday. Well, it's not a happy day, is it? No, Good Friday is uh, it's a uh, somber day. It is a very somber yeah, day. Yeah, right. There yes. you go. Hey, paid in full. All it's right. a good day. <laughs> well, that's right. <laughs> Amen. All right. Well, we have an exciting. We got some Easter stuff for you. Uh, the Easter food that we used to love, the mm. Green Parrot oh, Restaurant. Yeah. Uh, James, uh, what is it? Edward G. Robinson in the Ten Commandments. Did he really s- steal the show from Moses? Uh, but first of all, we want to tell you about a medical update on Ooh. Kevin Colleen. It's not really that big a deal. I'm a doctor avoider, and my, my wife had left a 50-pound pot of uh, potted plant out, and I started to pick it up. I was I it, I addressed it like a sumo wrestler. I squatted down. And the result was. I felt a disturbance in the delicate system. You know how you gotta, you gotta get into it like speed racer. I'm, I'm catching on, yes. So uh, there was a little <laughs> kind of a feeling uh, somewhere down there. Uh-oh. Oh boy! And I thought, well, you know, that goes back to eight years ago. Uh, our daughter Emily had pertussis, and I was coughing like a minor 49er through the nights, <laughs> and uh, it, it put like maybe just a little kind of a little strain on it, but. Uh, I don't have a doctor. I'm a doctor avoider. A lot of men mm. are. So I, I turned to the experts around me. Brian Patrick Kelly, yeah, the Irish newsman who sits next to me. Yeah, he knows his stuff. And yeah. uh, I, I asked him because he had a hernia a few years back, and he went to a doctor. I said, is that doctor any good? He said, yeah. He, you know, took care of it, and everything's fine. So I called up this doctor's uh, receptionist, and she said, who's your referring physician Mm. They always want to have a re- yeah. So I said, Dr. Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> oh, Kevin Colleen, we're going to miss you around here. I wish he would have made it in uh, for the last segment here today, but perhaps he's driving around uh, whimsically thinking about his 28 years at KMOX, and maybe that brought back a few memories for our good buddy, Kevin Colleen. Hey, uh, we're going to step aside. We're going to let you hear the news, and then we'll join Amy and Chris after this right here on The Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. I only deploy the long underwear if it gets down to single digits.